0: You're listening to the Boots About Business podcast. We share stories from military veterans that have transitioned to the world of business. On the show, you'll hear conversations with business leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs that all started their careers wearing boots in the service of the U.S. Armed Forces. This podcast is equal parts about sharing great stories, helping veterans, helping businesses, and fostering a greater understanding of the value veterans can bring to business. And welcome, everybody, to episode number 30 of the Boots About Business Podcast. I'm your host, Frank Strong, and here with us today is Jason Marchant. He is a former Marine that later served in the Army Reserve, and I can tell you out of experience, there are a lot of former Marines in the Army Guard and Reserve, it's just a bigger organization. Today, he is the Director of Account Management, and that is an operations job for a company called Tune. They're in the financial technology space. Welcome to the show, sir.
1: Thanks, Frank. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, glad to have you. The first question I ask everyone, and for you, it's a little different because, you know, are you crazy? Why, why did you join the Marines?
1: <laughs> Good question. Um, I think early on, a lot of people asked me that same question, and and I guess actually my parents, they tried to convince me to join the Air Force instead. I don't know. I, I grew up in, you know, I was a kid in the late 80s and 90s. I joined the Marines in '98. And I don't know if you remember back in the nineties, the Marines used to run this commercial where there's this really sharp dressed guy and he's carrying a sword and he's on a burning bridge and he's fighting a dragon. So maybe that's what it was. I'm not sure, but it was certainly a challenge. I think for me, it was a challenge that I needed at the time. And I remember going into the recruiting offices and I talked to the air force. I talked to the army I think I even talked to the coast guard. But that Marine always stood out to me. He wasn't arrogant, but he was confident. Like his uniform was in check. His desk was in check. It was like everything about him was just like, I want to be that. But I weighed 120 pounds soaking wet. I wasn't an athlete. I was just this kid. And everybody was like, are you crazy? Like, what are you doing? But I did. And I was successful. So it it was a good challenge.
0: So when you joined, did you fight any dragons or,
1: or what was your job? <laughs> it was way different than what I imagined. Uh, I went in really not knowing what to expect. I didn't come from a military family. So no, there was no dragons. Uh, a lot of yelling, a lot of screaming at the beginning.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: But yeah, it, it was what I needed at the time of my life. And what was your job in the service? Uh, I was a 1371 a combat engineer in the, in the Marine Corps. And so construction, landmines okay. and demolition.
0: Yeah. Sounds like fun. And then, you know, so you did how many years in the Marines?
1: Four years, four years active duty.
0: Four years, and you got out, and you later joined the Army Reserve. Just so people understand, how, how did that work?
1: Yeah, that was an interesting transition. I loved the Marine Corps. I had a very successful four-year career. I had become a sergeant, and it was really just under three years. But by the time I was 21, I had went from private to sergeant in the Marines, which was, that was a big which task. Is, super fast. Yeah, Super
0: fast. Yeah, yeah meritorious promotions.
1: Yeah. yeah, I was the top three out of boot camp graduating, which I mean, look, once I took on and I understood that like this wasn't about anything other than just beating yourself, basically, like being part of a team, it just, I don't know, I just kind of fell in. I really thought that I would be a lifelong retired Marine, you know, when I was in Okinawa at the time, but never thought about getting out, much less joining the Army. Uh, and the reserves, but anyway, got out in 2002 because I had decided at the time to get out and go to school. That was kind of one of the reasons why I joined the military in the first place, was to be able to afford college. Um, so I had a lieutenant at the time that kind of talked me into, "Hey, you're, you know, you seem like a smart guy. Once you got go to school, you could always come back and be an officer, do something like that." And so I got out. That's when we were just kind of kicking off Iraq, Afghanistan was going on. This was just after 9/11. But anyway, never really thought about joining the army. So. Got home, had some people getting called back in to get deployed. I had some buddies in Alabama that was in the Army Reserves already. And so they kind of convinced me and saying, hey, look, we drill right down the street. There's a lot of Army Reserve units in states. When you look at the Marines, yeah. there was three in the state of Alabama. And so, um, so anyway, they convinced me. I joined with them, reclassed from, I was still an engineer, but they sent me to school in Fort Leonardwood, Missouri to be a heavy equipment operator. And uh, so I yeah. ran class in 2003 and then shortly after uh, got orders to deploy to Afghanistan with that group of guys.
0: Okay. so and that, yeah, those are kind of your special trips, right It sounds like you were in Okinawa with the Marines and then later went to Afghanistan with the Army reserves.
1: Yep. Uh, Grenada did some time there with the Air Force. We did a joint task force, built some buildings and school buildings down there, which was a really cool trip. I think that was in 99 or 2000 yeah. uh, mainland Japan, Korea few stops in between Germany, places like that.
0: Yeah. 99, Grenada. That's like a big deal. That was like real world stuff.
1: Oh yeah. no. We didn't,
0: yeah. temple didn't pick up till after nine eleven, and then everybody started going everywhere.
1: Yeah. It was more humanitarian relief type efforts. Yeah. Very cool.
0: I ask everybody these two questions in this order, but you know, think about all of the experiences that you had in service, what was your worst day? Mm, worst day. I think, Any day,
1: um, you know, the military is a, it's a dangerous job, even when you're not in a combat situation. I think a lot of people don't understand that there's a lot of training, but also, you know, when you throw combat into that mix too, I think really for me is any day where we lost a brother in arms, right? Regardless if that was a Marine or a soldier or an airman or a corpsman or whoever it was that you worked with, that was always a really tough thing. Even if you knew him or didn't know him, you know. I even lost a lot of coalition forces that we worked with, you know, in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, those guys you see, they come to work in a uniform just like you every day. So I think the worst days would be just even hearing of something like that. That was always pretty tough for me. But I think, and I guess if I stuck one day out for sure, it had been March of 2006. A couple of just, I think maybe two or three weeks left at the end of our deployment, our construction site. We had experienced IEDs and things throughout the year, but we got hit with a car bomb suicide bomber, killed about eight people, several civilians. I mean, it, it was a mess. And to me, it was just such a senseless, just a senseless act, you know, just killing humans. That would probably be the worst. And then that makes me think of how fortunate we are. Like as Americans, we complain about a lot. Right. But how fortunate we are to live in a country that we live in, you know, like we have. It really makes you appreciate those types of things when you see stuff like that.
0: Yeah, that's rough, especially being so close to the end of your deployment. You're about to come home and things like that happen. I remember I was in when I was in Iraq, we were done. We were going home. We were getting on a plane in like a day or something. Order came down. They needed us to run another convoy, and it was a long one. And I had to go around and tell all the guys. They had broken down all of their gear. You know, all your stuff was linked to your body armor. They pulled that all apart. They had to put it all back on, and we had to go on. I remember this one guy saying, dude, I got kids, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, this is the mission. We got to go. Got to do it. Fortunately, nothing happened to us. I can't imagine what it was like. Yeah, it's a tough situation. There's a lot of good days in uniform. What was your best day?
1: Yeah, I think I realize more best days now that I'm out maybe than I did when I was in. But I'd say probably the best day for me was the day that I graduated Paris Island. I mean, just that in itself. And again, I, I ended up graduating top three in my class. But probably that day when we come back from the Crucible. And you're standing there and they hand you your Eagle Globe and anchor and you're not a Marine in a boot camp at Paris Island or or wherever you go uh, until that day, right? Until they say you are a Marine until then, you know, you're scum, you're a recruit, like you're working to be a Marine. Yeah, Yeah, you know, but, and you couldn't even speak in first person. So I think the day that I could say I, me, my, or yours or you (laughs) was a good day for me. Uh, Yeah. And then probably the second day would be the day I got out of the Marines, right? Because it is a love-hate relationship. (laughs) So. Yeah, it is.
0: I think that's true in everybody in the service. When you think about all of the things that you've done in uniform, it's just kind of like life, not necessarily about business, although we're getting ready to make that pivot soon. Uh, Uh, What do you think the service taught you?
1: A lot. I think, you know, one of the big things is how to work under pressure without giving in. I think that that's a really big takeaway from the military, how it's okay to fail until you don't at accomplishing a mission. Right to train, 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 practice, 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 and you're going to fail throughout that time, but eventually you'll get it. How to pay attention to detail, I think, is really, really big in everyone's life. I see so many businesses and business people and just people that do a lot of hard work and grind to get to where they want to be, but when they get there, they stop doing that. And I think the military is really good at saying you got to keep doing the little things because they matter. Teamwork, self accountability, you know, I think all of those things. It's okay to be a follower. And no matter what stage in your life that you're at, it's okay that that's how we learn, I think. But then it's also good to be able to step up and be the leader when there needs to be a leader. You know, if there's a void there, Mm -hmm. even if you think you're not ready, right? Sometimes you have to lean on other people to say, hey, Jason, we've got this position we think you'd be good at. And you may doubt yourself a little bit but it's okay to take those risks and step into those positions. And the Marines was very good at teaching us that,
0: you know, throughout yeah.
1: many different courses.
0: That makes a lot of sense. So, so let's talk a little bit about the transition about how, how and why you left the service. And I think for people listening, we're really talking about that time when you uh, left the Marines, that left active duty. And I recognized you had some time in between and then you had a, a tour in Afghanistan, but, Maybe kind of we want to get to what we want to get to in terms of leaving the services, what was your transition like to the civilian world? You know, what was your plan for finding gainful employment? and then how did you how did you land your first gig?
1: Well, uh, you know, as I'd mentioned earlier, I left the Marines with the intent to go to school. Once I got home, you know, I found out that life was a little bit more difficult, maybe than what I expected. Right, like I needed to work. I wanted to have my own place. So, you know, I certainly didn't want to move back home with with my parents or anything. And at that time, I was 22. So, so shortly after I left, I started. I had enrolled in school, started working at some random restaurant type jobs, or I think at one time I even did loss prevention at a department store. But I was really a little bit lost into what I was going to do. And I think that partly is what drove me to go ahead and join the Army Reserves with some people that I knew to get that camaraderie back. Um, Mm -hmm. But it was really not until after I got back from Afghanistan to realize in six when I really started facing like, hey, look, I've got to start something. Like, what is the rest of my life going to look like? Because once Mm -hmm. I got out in 2002, joined the Army in 2003. Shortly after we started our pre-deployment before going into Afghanistan. And so there was really just a small gap there in between those two roles.
0: And so uh, how did you get your career started? What happened? Well,
1: I came back from Afghanistan. When I first went to Afghanistan, I was dating, who is now my wife of almost 16 years. But she was in college at Alabama when I got out of the Marines. And I was acting like I was going to college at Alabama when I got out of the Marines. And so get deployed, come home and leave, get engaged, go back for eight more months. She graduates college, gets a good job, moves to South Florida. So I come back from Afghanistan and, you know, I've got my now fiance who's about to become my wife who started her career, you know, and it's kind of like what you say, what's your plan? You know, and so that was kind of her question to me. Now what? Mm -hmm. And so in 2006, at that point, I had never even owned a computer. I didn't need one. Right. I mean, I was in the military. I was traveling around. I didn't really know what my my life was going to be like after that. So she had helped me. My wife, Jackie, helped me put together a resume which, you know, basically revolved around Marine, Army, random small jobs, you know, um, can drive heavy equipment, can do demolition and blow up stuff, you know? So I didn't really have a focus on what the civilian world was going to be like for me. But I started applying to, to different places. Um, a lot of it was delivery type jobs. I had looked into the post office. I'd considered being a police officer, those types of things, which I think a lot of people kind of do looking at state and government jobs. But anyway, I had also applied, I think it was through the VA job board, if I remember correctly, where they kind of put your resume out there. And I got a call from a guy who owned a third-party reselling franchise of DHL shipping. It was a sales job. And um, so anyway, he called me, brought me in for an interview. And I don't know, there was just something about it. Um, You know, I had worn a uniform, kind of been in the dirt my whole life. My parents were blue collar um, I had worked in a fab shop a little bit in between times and there was just something about, you know, me showing up again, almost in a uniform. I was shirt and tie. The guy was, he was very charismatic. He was very smart, polished. I don't know. There was just something about it that made me say, I think I can make this work and um, give me a chance. Yeah.
0: What is uh so DHL, we're talking the shipping company. What do you mean for, for people that aren't familiar with the reselling model?
1: What does that mean? So basically what, it was called United Shipping Solutions. And what they did is they would sell like overnight. Like if you, if you mail something overnight, you pay a, a rate for that. Well, really big companies get aggressive shipping rates. They could pay less to do that because they ship in large volumes. And so basically what United Shipping Solutions was doing is they would buy rates in bulk from DHL. And then they would send sales reps out to smaller and medium-sized companies and offer those same discounted rates. And then you would kind of manage it like a broker is what you would do so they would pay you you you'd become their shipper and so you would be able to offer rates to companies that typically wouldn't qualify for you know directly through fedex or ups or dhl
0: and you made your profit on the margin there's a gap in between
1: yep yeah you so whatever we bought it for we could sell it and then we would make per shipment the profit between
0: those two things so this guy has a franchise he wants to hire you it's for a sales job i mean you you don't have a college degree at that point what was the conversation around that? Was that important or not considered or
1: um, I did not have a college degree, still do not have a college degree. But I think the reaction was pretty standard. You know, you go in for an interview and it's so tell me about your, you know, who you are and those types of things, and then it goes into why didn't you go to college? It seemed like the conversations would always go there. When are you gonna to go to college? Are you gonna to go to college and, and those types of things? So but I remember him telling me that to him, it didn't matter because just through meeting me, he could see that there was like a fire in me. He knew that I was hungry, that I had something to prove. He could tell that at least I had experience over a college degree. And um, I do remember his name was Eric Pew. And he told me, he said, I believe that you're going to try to outwork everyone else on this team and you're going to succeed. And if you don't, you're going to die trying. And um, he was right. You know, I, I killed it. I destroyed it down there. And um, ended up stopping that job. He, They really wanted me to go in and buy my own franchise. I was moving up to West Virginia. I, didn't ha- I couldn't afford a franchise. It didn't pay that well. It was my first job. I got paid once a month and it was low. I did okay on commissions, but I wasn't killing it in that way anyway. But ended up, they believed in me enough to where they fronted me a franchise. And so I, I owned a franchise for a short stand up in West Virginia at that same company which was really cool to come from not sure where I'm going to go to landing a sales job with no sales experience, you know, busting it for about a year and a half and then somehow having a a business card that that said president on it, which was way more of an inflated title than it should have been, but it was true. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was getting a franchise and having someone to have that level of faith to put that kind of money up front um, to get you started. But I want to ask about the degree thing because I know a lot of people struggle with that. Do you, So you still don't have a degree, you've had a successful career. What's your take on, is that something that people need to go do? Would you do different things differently if you could go back? And maybe kind of what's your take, you're working in sales. You know, when you think about more broadly across the industry, do you need a degree to work in sales?
1: Well, for me now, like I have started going back to school recently, just within the last few years to Purdue online. But that's important to me, right? Like, I don't think that's Mm -hmm. not going to advance my career today. I think that's something that I want to show my kids that, you know, you set goals and you want to accomplish things, go out and do it. And that's kind of why I'm doing that now. But I think that as far as, is it important to have an agree? I think it is if that's what you want, right? Not what other people want. I don't think that it's necessary as long as you can find other ways to, you know, A, educate yourself about the skill that you want to have or I guess, and B, commit to a goal and see it through to the end. So I don't think it's necessary unless it's something that you want to do for yourself. And as long as it helps you advance to where you want to be. But as far as do you need one to work in sales, I think for some roles you do. So it really depends on what you want to do. The The only two that I can say for sure is maybe if it's like a technical role, but medical device and pharmaceutical sales, I had applied yeah. to some of those roles. And most of the time that was through like a headhunter or a recruiting agency. And once they found, I mean, I remember having multiple conversations with some. And then once they found out to the point of you don't have a degree, it's like they would stop the conversation. So uh-huh. for some, I think that it's just required. It's the way that they kind of clear out the applicant pool and they know that they're going to lose some good people by doing it that way, but it's just what they do. But I would also say to the veterans out there that don't have a college degree, If it's something that you're not going to do, still aggressively apply for those jobs if you think it's something that you want to do and push to get them to talk to you, right? Because there are many jobs that are out there that puts that in their job descriptions just because that's whoever wrote the job description does it. But if you get in front of those hiring managers and you prove yourself and you show them that you have something to offer, they'll hire you. The company I work for now, Fine Tune. When I put out job descriptions, it says, I don't know if we still have it, it said required or maybe recommended. I don't remember exactly how we worded it, but my company required that before I worked here, and I've been here eight years now, so I'd still say. Uh-huh. Go after so you, it.
0: yeah, so you got a sales job at a at a technology company. That's kind of what I'm after, mm-hmm. without a degree, even though their job requirements say that you need one. So yep. it's not impossible. It's possible, but you know m- maybe that the uh, getting getting one helps you i guess it's a it's a it's a line on your resume that helps you stand out if you will if they're using that to clear out resumes and sales is something you want to do then it's maybe it's preferred mm-hmm. would you agree with that Or are you yeah I agree, I agree with that i do yeah
1: i mean it helps like if you can get it and it's on your resume it certainly helps but i guess what i'm saying is if you don't have it don't stop yeah and don't stop yourself from applying because there's a lot of veterans that are out there that works in these companies, you know, like myself that are hiring managers and I don't require a college degree. I require someone that can say what they're going to do and go out and do it, be reliable, show up to work and try their best. Like, you know, like we can teach skills. Yeah, You know, we need those things you learned in the military. So there's a whole pool of talent out there that don't have degrees.
0: And I think there's a lot of, very,
1: very. I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: No, finish. You said there's a lot of people that were.
1: Yeah. I just think that there's a, there's a lot of, I I guess I can say this way people that aren't very smart that have college degrees there's a lot of lazy people that have college degrees right so you've got an edge as a veteran that most people don't have you've got experience that people don't learn their entire lifetimes or sometimes not way later in life that you got at an early age so put yourself out there and make people see it you know be persistent
0: yeah don't let it don't self-select don't let not having one eliminate you but if you want to go get one go ahead so you've you've long since moved up and on in your career. You've kind of had a whole career in sales. You wind up at FineTune and you're doing something a little bit different now. You, we talked a little bit before the show. You, in your mind, it's account management is more of an operations role. Tell us about that a little bit. What does Fine Tune do and what does your day-to-day look like?
1: Yeah, so FineTune, we're an expense management company. We have deep expertise and a handful of what we call nuisance expenses, expenses that take up more time than they're worth for companies. And so we help businesses substantially reduce the cost of these types of categories, specifically uniform rental programs. I used to work in the uniform rental industry as well, but they're indirect category expenses that businesses spend money on. We have deep expertise in those and we help substantially reduce the cost by negotiating new deals, enforcing the contracts on suppliers that typically don't have a good reputation for contract adherence. And then we enforce those contracts throughout the lifetime of the agreement. And then we're paid a portion of the savings along the way. Uh So we do auditing and sourcing.
0: It's amazingly similar to what your first gig was. It is very similar. In terms of how the company makes. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's
1: in the shared savings world. So we operate in the consulting environment. And within that, you typically have auditing companies who would go in and audit an expense and see if there's any overbilling where they collect money. We do that, it's a part of what we do. Then you have sourcing companies that would go in and negotiate newer and better deals. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm a person that used to work in industry X, I know a lot about it, I can help you get a better deal, save you some money. Those companies mm-hmm. typically bill on projected savings. So we do auditing and sourcing, but what separates Fine Tune aside from just an auditing or just a sourcing company is we do both of those, but then we own our work and enforce that agreement. So we stay with it for the full term to actually make sure you get what you sign up for.
0: Yeah, that sounds neat. It's like a good value. You're giving money back to the customer if they use your product or service. Well, How do you think the military has helped in your career? Um,
1: well, I mean, I think just as we were mentioned earlier, just all the skills that I learned along the way. I think when I look back, especially in my Marine Corps career, we did a lot of things that I just thought were just so dumb at the time as we were doing them. Inspections <laughs> yeah. and nitpicking and you know, wall locker inspections and laying out all of our gear and cleaning things that haven't been used in 10 years. You know I mean? Like all of these little things. And then I got into doing promotion boards where you had to learn Marine Corps history and you had to interview in front of sergeant majors and first sergeants and had to drill a platoon in front of all this stuff. And so what I didn't realize along the way is that it was teaching me how to interview. You know, it was putting me in tough situations that really sucked, but then being able to kind of stay cool, calm, and collective. The way I look at it is kind of like like being a duck in the water. If you look at a duck, it's all calm on the surface, but below the surface, it's little legs are just frantically kicking, right? As it's a little bit nervous under the water. And that's the kind of way that I look at it, It put me in all these really tough situations to prepare myself later, to really be that cool, calm and collective person that can actually get stuff done. And so I I think that's the way that it helped me the best is just prepare me slowly over time to become just kind of a polished person.
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Are there things that you learned in uniform that you think are specific to having enabled your sales career?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest part is being comfortable to talk or present to a group of people. If you've ever had to present to a group of military, whoever, doesn't matter what branch it is. That's probably one of the toughest crowds you're ever going to get. If you mess up, you're not going to forget about it, right? They're going to remind you. Mm -hmm. But yeah, just being comfortable, um, even from calling cadence and drilling a platoon or running through, you know, PT, those types of things. It gets, just gets you comfortable to speaking and talking. I'd mentioned earlier, paying attention to details. That is huge in sales, right? How to shut up and listen. In the military, one thing you're really good at, or at least I hope you are. If not, you probably didn't do very well, is taking orders. And it is amazing at what you'll learn in a sales environment if you just shut up and listen.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: um, You know, too many salespeople talk, the entire sales presentation and they don't learn anything about what the customer wants. So, you know, shut up and listen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That all sounds good. I guess we're getting towards the end here. One last, I might, I might make it to two questions, but you know, let me ask it this way. Do you think sales is a good career? Is that, that like, what does a career in sales have to offer somebody that is transitioning out of the military?
1: A challenge if you like that, you know, I love sales. I think there's a lot of it that I, I, there's some that I didn't like. Like I didn't love the cold calling aspect of it, but if you find a person that just loves it, I'd say that would be a rare person, but the presenting and mm-hmm. helping solve problems, bringing real solutions to people, as long as you believe in your product, that's rewarding in itself, but it also comes with good pay right? And the way that you're paid in sales is it's all reflective on what you put into it and what results you bring to that company. And so I think that if you're looking for a career that's challenging, that also pays well, then sales can be for you. But you're going to need to really become a student of the game. You're going to want to start applying, you know, to sales types positions. Don't be picky as to what it is. If you don't have sales experience, cut your teeth somewhere. Anybody anywhere that has phone calling, cold calling, outdoors, indoors, whatever, do it, just to get some experience under your belt. Even if that's not where you want to be long term, mm-hmm. get it. You know, get in there and start learning. But be a student of the game, be a sponge. I would recommend to anyone read books, nonfiction books. I'm not talking like Harry Potter's; nothing wrong with those types of things. But I'm saying self-help books. There's tens of thousands of books to choose from. I would say just start. You know, read something.
0: You got? Is there one that you like that you'd recommend people read?
1: Uh, I, th- I guess if I were starting, I would say read the ultimate sales machine by Chet Holmes. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot of good tips and tricks in there. And, you know, it's been around forever. Fanatical prospecting. I'm not sure how long that one's been out, but that if you want to talk about just upping your game on output, that one's by Jeb Blunt. Um, I would start yep. with those two. Yeah. Those are two good yeah, ones. Yeah.
0: That Jeb Blunt rings a bell. We'll put links to those in the show notes. What else? Nope. You had something else? Uh, one more book I would
1: say is just one. I'm sorry. The Slight Edge. I cannot remember the author of that one, but that's a really good read just in life in general about how it's all the small changes and decisions you make along the way that really impacts the long outcome, mm-hmm. but it's called the Slight Edge.
0: That's a good one. The Slight Edge. We'll, um, we'll put a link to that in the show notes Do Last piece, just kind of generally along these lines, what advice would you have for veterans thinking about a career in sales? Like what can they do now? to help set themselves up for success later? Uh, I think. What small decisions, to your point, can they make now to to drive that long-term success?
1: Do research, you know, find out what companies that you would want to sell for. Not even what companies, what type of companies you'd want to sell for. You know, look at industries, which ones are growing. Look into that. I think that the consulting world is growing. I think in the environment that we live in, there's a lot of consultant type sales that are out there now that you can get into companies are becoming more lean in their procurement departments and just departments in general, just the, Mm -hmm. the world that we live in. So I would say maybe dive into that a little bit, but then I guess other advice I would say is we live in a social world these days. So become active in social media, but watch your social media posts, keep it clean. I call it your digital tattoo. Now, you know, that whatever you put in social media can certainly follow you forever. So yeah, you know, maybe keep some of your thoughts and opinions, political, whatever to yourself, <laughs> like just keep it clean. And if you don't have a LinkedIn, start one. It's free. Make your profile professional and uh, connect with people like Frank that can uh, point you in the right direction.
0: Yeah, I guess I, I do have one more question I want to ask. I was just thinking about this. It would be useful for people to understand the. I guess there's two general types of salespeople and you've done both. And you've talked about it a little bit with like kind of the cold calling early in your career, where you've got hunters and farmers. I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So most of my career, I was a hunter, meaning that I was solely looking for new business for the company that I was working for. You know, I was knocking on doors or phone calling and doing that initial, here's my company, here's what I would do, kit, will you meet with me? That's where, you know, you are really fighting and grinding and repeating on a daily basis each week. That's your new sales gig now i'm in more of a farmer role where our account managers once our sales team the hunters go out and hunt the new business once they become a fine-tuned client now now we're farming that relationship if there's new additional services that we can add to it we're doing that but it's really our goal to build that relationship and continue to show value. So if that was a three-year contract on the initial term that the salesperson sold, it becomes a 10, 15, or 20-year client. Mm-hmm. right? So we're continuously reselling the value of fine tune throughout that relationship. So that would be the difference in
0: the hunter and the farmer. Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's good for people to know. All right. I want to thank you for uh, your service. Thanks for coming on the show and sharing your experience. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Boots About Business podcast. Please know you can subscribe to this podcast wherever you catch your podcasts. And while you are there, won't you leave us a nice review? It'll help the show and in turn help other veterans. Finally, if you know someone that's a veteran in business or is an entrepreneur with a story to share, hit us up using the contact form on the show's website. That's bootsaboutbusiness.com. That's all one word, bootsaboutbusiness.com. Until next time, I am your host, Frank Strong out here.